Pound the Rock is brought to you by The Score Bet. That's right. We brought you the best sports media app. Now we're bringing you the best sports book. The Score Bet offers a safe and secure mobile sports book experience with both pregame and in-play markets. And best of all, it's integrated into The Score and our content to give you the easiest and most seamless sports betting experience. Take advantage of exciting promotions and odds boosts all season long. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. And 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. going on welcome to pound the rock the scores nba podcast i'm joe wolfond and i'm joined as always by my co-host joseph Cacharo. talk to me cash it hasn't been as long as it usually has been between us seeing each other on this virtual <laughs> yeah it's a quick turnaround and you know to that point just a little bit of housekeeping we are going to be trying something a little bit different and we'll sort of see how it goes for the next little while but basically we're switching to a two episode a week format. And in conjunction with that, I think we're going to try and keep these episodes a little pithier. Uh, I know some of the ones we've been doing recently have been running quite long. So in splitting it up into two episodes a week, I think we'll be able to keep them. uh, Yeah, just a little bit brisker. So we'll see how that goes. uh, And feel free to hit us up with some feedback about how you like that format. But yeah, for now, I think we're going to try two a week. And I, I think we'll try to make it every Tuesday and Friday and we'll see how we do in terms of trying to stick to that schedule because I know we've been all over the place in terms of the days of the week that we usually record. Hasn't been a lot of consistency and that's what we're trying to go for here. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I think the, we're giving the people what they want. We've gotten plenty of feedback, uh, especially recently from people asking for multiple episodes a week. In fact, I believe... The person we gave a fan shout out to last week, Matty Gray, uh, his tweet to us was that his only complaint is that we're not multiple a week. So giving the people what they want, more pound the rock. All I'm saying is be careful what you wish for, people, because we're yeah. uh, we're all going to be getting sick of each other when, by the uh, time all is said and done. When we don't have any topics left to talk about and everyone's just a clown. According to, <laughs> according to me, that's when we know it's time to scale it back. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the NBA, though. It was like there's there's never a point where there isn't anything to talk about. Like there's just always something. And I feel like that's maybe why it makes sense for us to switch to doing more episodes because it's nonstop. And no matter what, there's always going to be something to talk about. But we are going to try and uh, maybe narrow our scope for these episodes in an effort to keep them shorter. So we'll we'll hit on a couple pieces of news at the top, and then we're going to hone in on one team that we actually haven't talked about all that much, at least not since maybe like the first week of the season. And we'll just do a sort of state of the union on that team. But for starters, I mean, you actually mentioned this briefly last episode, but we didn't really delve into it. And it wasn't official at the time that he was going to have surgery and most likely miss the rest of the season. But Michael Porter Jr. is going to have back surgery. His Is that his third back surgery now since being drafted? It might be, man. Might I know. Be. Th- there was one that he had in college, right, before he got drafted. So it's been at least three in total. I don't know. Yeah. Um, regardless, it's... You know, there, there was talk of nerve damage, so... Uh, you know, to to the extent that the surgery can help long term, I mean, you hope that it's a good thing and potentially a turning point for him and something that is going to help him, you know, achieve some kind of stability, durability, because uh, it's just been fits and starts for him since his career began. And from Denver's perspective, for, from his perspective as a professional, like it's just you know, obviously pretty dispiriting, like he hasn't been able to find any measure of consistency. Last year had this kind of breakout season. It's weird to even call it a breakout. It was like his first 
and only full season that he played. So can you call it a breakout? Like it was just a, a good season and a really promising one for a promising young player. But now for both him and the Nuggets, I feel like so much has been has been cast into doubt. And we don't know when Jamal Murray's going to be back or what he's going to look like when he's back. Dozier blew his knee out. Dozier blew his knee out. Man, it's like this is quickly devolving into a season from hell for Denver. And they currently employ, at the very least, one of the three best players in the league right now, I would say. And, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen that before. You know, we've seen kind of shipwrecked superstars trying to drag uninspiring supporting casts to respectability in the past. So it's what it is. You know, a a lost Nikola Jokic season isn't the end of the world, assuming that that Denver can eventually become whole again and make good on Jokic's prime. But I guess the scary part is we don't know if that's going to happen. You know, we don't know if Murray is going to get back to the level he was at before. We don't know if Porter Jr. is ever going to be able to stay on the floor. And... I just think, you know, for a team like Denver that was kind of on the ascent for so long, improving incrementally, building chemistry and cohesion to have it all fall apart like this, basically just due to unforeseen and uncontrollable circumstances is really, really disappointing. I mean, you know, because I I talked about it so many times on the pod last year and you were in agreement that that Murray injury last year just absolutely devastated them. Like That was a team that I genuinely believed after the Aaron Gordon trade could win and, and probably honestly would have won the title based on the way last year shook out. Like I, I thought that highly of the way that team came together. And so that injury was obviously the devastating blow, but you know, a guy blows his knee out. It's obviously scary in the NBA, but you assume, especially at his age, that when he gets back, he should be at least close to the player he was. The Porter stuff now, as you mentioned, like multiple back surgeries, we know the issues with his back in general since when he came into the league. It's why he lost, you know, his entire first year officially. Uh, It's why we've talked about him, you know, looking unable to even get in a proper defensive stance. You know, like he always looks stiff out there. This to me is like the Murray one was more devastating in terms of their short-term goals. But now this is definitely the more concerning one in terms of their long-term outlook. Because you start talking about a guy with multiple back surgeries, a bigger guy, like... It's uh, it's a shame. And then, yeah, and then you go back to short term. And then, like, Dozier, who was just a solid depth piece for them, blows his knee out. And you're looking at the situation now. Like, we've talked before, although he was pretty good last night, like Aaron Gordon, when he's overextended on the offensive end, just isn't the player that, like, people want him to be. And, and he he doesn't have to be, like, on in the ideal role. And he had found the ideal role in Denver, and now he's going to be miscast again. And then, you know, like, Will Barton is having a great year. Really great like year. Will yeah, really like Will Barton. He shouldn't be your second best player. He might now be, you know, or at least offensively, he's their second option. And and that's a problem. But I do want to take the time at least through all of that to say, and I did an episode of Unfiltered about it last week. I don't think I've talked about it yet on the pod. We all know Nikola Jokic is great, but like if, if this becomes a lost season for Denver, which it looks like it will be, or at the very, like, you know, best case, even if it's not a lost season, they're not contending for anything if Murray and Porter are out. But I hope that Jokic's mastery and just absolute ridiculousness does not get lost and people appreciate it to its fullest. Because, you know, the episode of Unfiltered I did last week was basically about how if you if you want to give out like a first quarter MVP award, I know everyone would just hand it to Steph because he's been the best player on the best team and he's been unbelievable. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to look at the team, the player that has been like most impactful on whether their team has a chance in hell on a night-to-night basis it's Nikola Jokic man like what this dude's doing this year is actually just insane I tweeted about it last night like he so the Nuggets are nine and five with him one and five without him um in addition to obviously all the stuff we know offensively and how he carries that offense not just with his scoring but with his playmaking he's also been really good defensively this year and the Nuggets uh before he went down with injury they were a top seven defensive team with him on the court, they are a very good defensive team, and that defense completely craters without him. And then if you look at their actual uh, performance, their net rating per 100 possessions, in the minutes with Jokic on the court this season, and again, this is a battered Nuggets team that has been without Murray and now without Porter, in the minutes with Jokic on the court, no matter who is with him, 
the Nuggets are plus 13.6 per 100 possessions. And I know small sample size theater. I know that a lot of times you can look at teams and say, okay, well, when their best players on the court, they're this good. And when they're, when he's not, they're this bad. But this isn't just like, okay, this battered team is still performing well with Jokic on the court. This is like, this battered team literally has the same net rating as the Warriors when Jokic is on the court. And when Jokic is off the court, their net rating is minus 14.7. That's almost four full points per 100 possessions worse than the 30th ranked Magic. They literally are playing like the best team in the league when he's on the court and way worse than the worst team in the league when he's off the court. His on-off net is like 28 plus 28 and something. So I just, again, um, I know he's not actually... He's probably not going to get in the MVP conversation because his team's not going to be good enough, but I think he squarely still belongs in it. And I just hope that what Jokic is doing this season does not get lost. And even uh, PER, which I know obviously has its flaws. I don't encourage anyone to use PER to judge who's been the better player, but Jokic is on pace right now to have the best PER season by a mile. And the gap between his PER right now and the second greatest PER season of all time, which was Wilts like 50 years ago, would be the equivalent between Wilts and like the 40th best PER ever. Like just any way you look at it, what Jokic is doing right now is like historic. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you mentioning all of that is why I don't think it will get lost in the shuffle. I think if anything, there's a chance that it will just amplify the extent to which people understand his greatness, you know, maybe more so just as a floor raiser than anything. Like, I, I don't agree at all that he's not going to be in the MVP, in the MVP conversation. I think he'll be right there. And I, I think he's reason- been the most valuable player through a quarter of the season. He's been, yeah, I, mean, I think the, 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 you know, the argument for Steph, obviously, apart from the fact that the Warriors are 18 and two is that he has been more available than Jokic, which is, right. which is kind of strange because Jokic has been, you know, Mr. Availability for his entire yeah. career. This is like, he's missed more games already this season than he missed in like the previous three seasons combined. So be, because we're still so early in the season, that accounts for like a third of it. I think that would right. have to factor in, but you know, looking down the road, I don't expect Jokic to miss a whole bunch of other games. I think he'll be very squarely in that mix, regardless of where the Nuggets wind up. And part of my faith in in his ability to be there at the end of the day is the fact that I don't think the Nuggets are just going to like fall off a cliff and wind up in the lottery. Not if he's on the court. They're they're still going to be a really solid team. And part of that, you know, is his ability to just make everybody around him better at the offensive end. But you mentioned his improved defense. I think Gordon has been awesome defensively, you know, despite you you talking about his being overextended on offense, like he's done everything they've needed from him at the defensive end, whether that's guarding one-on-one on the perimeter being, you know, that low man helper and really cleaning up a lot of stuff behind their hedges on the ball. Like he's done everything that they've needed him to do with the defensive end. Barton's been awesome. Bones Highland. I just love everything about his game. And I really think it's been important because we mentioned early in the year, just how disastrous their bench had been. And he has been a bit of a stabilizing force for that second unit. So, look, I agree. I don't think they're a contender, at least. I mean, this is the crazy thing, right? Even with Porter out, if Murray gets back, you know, in like March or something, and then by the end of the season, he is something resembling the Murray that we remember. I mean, is it crazy to think that that they could be back in that mix? I don't think it's crazy. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's maybe a remote possibility because I think the the notion of Murray coming back and just immediately being Murray again is a remote possibility. But if that unlikelihood does come to pass, then I don't see any reason why the Nuggets wouldn't be back in that conversation. I mean, Porter's an important part of their team, but I think he was a distant third to Jokic and Murray before Murray got hurt. And I, I think that they are reasonably well set up to survive his absence if they can get Murray back. But I mean, until that happens, it's like, it's just going to be asking a little bit too much of Jokic to do everything for them on offense and then do everything that he's doing on defense where like the the scheme that they play asks him to cover a lot of ground. And I don't know that he can continue to do that over the course of an 82 game season, carrying the load that he's carrying on offense. Um, it's disappointing, but I am in a weird way, 
you know, not that we need to find silver linings here, but I am kind of looking forward to seeing just like the extent to which Jokic can actually like continue to lift all boats and keep Denver squarely in the playoff mix in the West. Cause I do think he's capable of it. The other piece of news was uh, Kemba Walker has been excised from the New York Knicks rotation, which is, I mean, I don't know if, if this is the end for him in New York, if that will change, if somehow he'll find himself back in the rotation at some point in time, but just a, a, pretty sad and rather abrupt coda to his very short-lived Knicks career after there was, you know, all this buzz about him going back home and playing there. And it's just, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen a player fall off precipitously, but it's just crazy how quickly it happened. Like this dude was starting in the all-star game less than two years ago. And he was a deserved starter in the all-star game. Like it wasn't, some token start. Like he was legitimately incredible the first half of that season in Boston. And then he'd been dealing with that knee stuff, played a ton of minutes in that all-star game. And then was like, never the same after that. People are coming for Nick nurse's head for, (laughs) for ruining him in that game. But um, it's just a, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, man, for, for a player who kind of toiled in obscurity for a long time, right? Like just, doing his thing, trying to make that Hornets team respectable, never really getting to taste any kind of playoff success. And then finally, you know, goes to Boston, gets a chance to play for a contender. And it's like almost as soon as that opportunity arose for him, it kind of disappeared. And now here we are. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that, that situation? You obviously, you talked about the Knicks last episode and about their, their starting lineup struggle. So I'd imagine this hasn't come as a huge shock to you, but I mean, him deserving to be excised like isn't shocking. Him actually being excised from the rotation, I was a little surprised at that because you know how these things go, especially with veterans sometimes. And but I, I suppose that's the benefit of getting a veteran like Kemba, who you know could have been high upside on a at a low cost, right? Is that you don't feel as pressure to maybe give them opportunity, like continued opportunities that they don't deserve. Now, big picture wise, it is just sad. Is that because- is that a subtweet of Evan Fournier or <laughs> no? I, look. Fournier has not been good, clearly. He's been better than Kemba, um, but he's not been good either. But yeah, the sad thing with Kemba, like you said, is it's just how quickly it all kind of went to crap. And uh, it's another you know reminder as we get plenty of every season that life comes at you fast in the NBA, especially, you know, life comes at you fast in general. Obviously, there's bigger things in basketball, but from a basketball perspective, in the NBA, life comes at you really fast and the league's changing all the time and and this is why even if you remember, like if, for any of our listeners that have been listening for a long time, even back when Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge at the time, I can't remember who it was, was a couple of the comments they made about Kemba's knee like early last year. I remember at the time being like, man, this is like concerning the way they're talking about it. I remember early last season them saying, well, like, you know, we'll see if his knee's good by the end of the year. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, You know, and uh, it, it's, it was concerning for a reason. But um, in terms of the Knicks this year, yes, I talked last week about how they have by far the worst starting lineup in the league and by far the best bench in the league. Getting Kemba out of the starting lineup should help. And moving Alec Burks into the starting lineup should help because, yeah, Burks is just a better player than Kemba Walker at this point, which sounds crazy, but it's not. But I guess my complaint, and I know I'm not the only one uh, voicing this complaint because I know Knicks fans feel the same based on social media, is that I thought quickly should have got the first crack at it. Not because he's necessarily playing better than Burks, but because, you know, one, he you can look at it just from a future-minded perspective and that he's much more part of the Knicks' future than Alec Burks is. But also, you know, quickly might still be something closer to a combo guard, but in terms of him and Burks, I think he's definitely something closer to a natural, like, initiator and facilitator. And the one thing that, like, you take Kemba out of that lineup they don't have a natural initiator in it. And Burks isn't one either. And again, whether you think quickly is one or can become one, I don't know. But he's closer to it than Burks is. So it's like now you're counting on Burks and Fournier to be the initiators. Maybe you're counting on RJ Barrett to, to initiate the offense. I know Randall can do it like, you know, from the elbows and whatever, but you're not giving Randall the ball and saying here be a point forward. So well, they are doing that though. Well, they are, but they should. Whether they should like, be is another right, question. Right, you shouldn't be is what I what I should have said. But yeah, so that's my complaint with this. I agree with getting Kemba out of the rotation. I agree with giving Burks more minutes, but 
I think they need an initiator in that starting lineup, and Burks ain't it. And I'd like yeah. to see if quickly is it. And you're not doing, you're not putting Rose in there. Like Rose, Rose is probably the best initiator on this team, but I think they want to keep Rose on the bench. And, and if you put him in the starting lineup anyway, you're further tanking a defense. It's already terrible. So, well, I mean, the the rationale behind the switch, at least in Tom Thibodeau's words, was the defense. He kept talking about how they needed to get tougher defensively, bigger stronger at the point of attack so that was his rationale apart from I think wanting to keep the kind of bones of that bench unit in place and that's why you know instead of this being framed as like we're moving Kemba to the bench it was Kemba's out of the rotation because Tibbs was also like we're not going to play these three small guards together off the bench in rows quickly and Kemba so Kemba's like the odd man out whereas like if you had put quickly into the starting lineup or rose into the starting lineup then it may would have made, you know, probably a lot more sense to have Kemba being in the mix with those bench groups. He's not cooked, in my opinion. Like, he can still He's shooting offer the ball something well. of value. He's shooting the ball, ball well from deep. Right. So, okay, so he's out of the mix in New York. I mean, is there, not that they're going to get a ton for him, but it's like his contract is not cumbersome at all. And so, off the top of my head, a team like the Cavs, right, that just lost Colin Sexton for the season. They could use another shooter and creator, whether that's in the starting lineup with Garland or coming off of their bench. Why not? You know, I think there are a bunch of teams that could conceivably take a swing on Kemba Walker. If the Knicks really don't feel like they have any kind of use for him, I would think not even for the sake of like getting something good back, because that's not going to happen, but just, you know, to essentially do right by him. So he's not just sitting there wasting away uh, in street clothes like, send him somewhere else because yeah. he's like yeah he's he's doesn't have that explosiveness anymore he's not getting to the basket anymore he's a minus defensively but if you're a bench guard you can be a minus defensively and yeah. still be and still to be honest be, most like, bench guards are minus <laughs> well that's the thing and it's like you're you're going up against opposing bench units where you're probably not going to get hunted like you're not going to get exposed yeah. to nearly the same extent and yeah, like if Kemba is just a permanent bench guard at this point, like I think he has value as that. Like he so still brings pop off the dribble, like really yeah. good off the dribble shooter, pretty solid playmaker. He may not work for the Knicks, but he could work for another team. So I don't think this is like the end of the line for him in the NBA, even if it is the end of the line for him in New York. I'm just, I'm curious to see whether as a gesture of goodwill, they work with him to find another team to send him to. Yeah, I think as a as a shooter... And a guy who can create his own shot, preferably against bench units, I think Kemba still has value. And uh, I think for sure teams will be, maybe not lining up, but teams and some good teams too will be knocking on the door at MSG and you know wondering what it'll take to get him out of there. And it does seem like, I mean, I know he was like the common denominator in a lot of their lineups that have performed poorly. Like, I think their starters without him have actually performed quite well. So it's like if you isolate him, then it makes it seem like he was the problem. I do think in a lot of ways he's wearing this for what had been a dysfunctional starting lineup on the whole. And there are problems that go well beyond him. You know, I don't think this is going to be necessarily some magic fix that is going to solve all the Knicks issues. And you mentioned that, you know, the lack of a kind of natural initiator in that starting lineup and what they're asking Randall to do that is you know, obviously he had an amazing season last year in large part because he was shooting the shit out of the ball and he's not doing that this season. And I think we're seeing like once that becomes the case, once he's shooting, you know, in line with his career norms, he doesn't quite look like the natural point forward. Maybe it seemed last year like he might be. So he's still stretched thin in that role. And I think uh, too much is still running through him. We'll see. This probably does improve their defense, but then maybe it comes with a corresponding dip at the offensive end. And this whole season with the Knicks has been trying to find that balance, yeah. right? That was what their offseason was about. It maybe tilted too far in the other direction. And now, I don't know, we'll see. But I feel like what it comes down to is just generally not enough two-way balance with this team. And I don't know that this move is going to change that. Yep. Um, okay, let's take a, a quick break there. We'll come back. We'll talk some Lakers. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. 
That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, Cash. We've avoided this subject for a little while. Uh, we talked about this team early-ish in the season when we saw a bunch of the cracks in the facade that would continue to spread and deepen over the next several weeks. I feel we can ignore this team and this topic no longer. So, look, we talked about the Knicks. Now we're going to talk about the Lakers. Let's call it Big Market Tuesdays from now on, all right? <laughs> we'll hit on the coastal teams. You know, after a detour last week to talk about teams like the Grizzlies, the Pacers, the Spurs, uh, we're diving right in on the big market squads this week. And I, I, I do want to kick it to you to start because you picked this team to come out of the West this season. And I know you have said that you're not feeling great about that prediction, having watched this team play. The big caveat, obviously, is LeBron has missed a bunch of time with an abdominal injury. But it's not like it's looked super good since he came back from that injury either, right? Like the, the, the game since he came back, they got smoked by the Celtics. They had this huge come-from-behind win over a god-awful Pistons team uh, in the game LeBron got ejected for clocking Isaiah Stewart. Then they lost to the Knicks in the game LeBron was suspended for clocking Isaiah Stewart. They got an overtime win over a Pacers team that's been a hot mess, as detailed on our last episode. And LeBron was really good in that game, but he had to hit all manner of daggers to win that yeah. game. And then they had this wild triple overtime loss to a Kings team that's been bad, even at full strength. But in that game was missing Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes, probably like their two best players this season. And they had so many chances to win that game. They blew a big fourth quarter lead. And then most recently, they almost blew a big fourth quarter lead, but did manage to hang on for a four point win over that same lousy Pistons team. So add it all up and they're 11 and 11. Uh, they're 23rd in net rating. They're bad on both sides of the ball. And that is having played one of the easiest schedules in the league. Uh, and they're basically dead even in net rating with LeBron on the floor. So yep. I know you didn't have a ton of faith in your prediction that they were going to come out of the West this season. You definitely had your concerns. Yeah, I even I agreed with your bold prediction that they would not finish in the <laughs> top four in the West. Like they'd end right. up. Even and I was, I mean, I was a, I was a Lakers skeptic and I didn't expect it to look this bad. Right. Uh, and I do think it will look better by season's end, but it's just getting harder and harder to think that any of their issues are going to get solved in a meaningful way, you know, a way that is going to pretend any kind of playoff success for them. So what have been your like biggest takeaways, your biggest concerns, maybe your biggest reasons for optimism as you've watched this Lakers team so far? man, there are not a lot of reasons for optimism or not. No, they're not like, no, I, like I said, I thought this team would have an up and down regular season, have to start the playoffs on the road. Go ahead. LeBron and AD are healthy. This team's coming out of the West. I can't convince myself that's the case anymore. This team is not very good. Like, let's call it what it is. You know, like silver linings, you're asking for optimism. I don't know. Carmelo Anthony's shooting the ball well. Like, you know, they can't really ask for much more out of him. LeBron at center lineup opened mm -hmm. up some interesting stuff for them offensively. Gave Russell Westbrook a path to the rim that I don't think he's had all season. But the flip side of that is, you know, we talked a few weeks ago when I when I brought up that I think they need more minutes of AD at center, even though the majority of his minutes were coming at that. And you brought up the good point of like, given AD's injury history, his lack of durability, is that really something you want to like, him to have to deal with all season at a heavy minute load. You know, we were, we had this conversation in October. Well, it's like, I, you know, I, I got what you were saying at the time, but it's pretty concerning that you need LeBron to log minutes at center in November in year, whatever the hell this is, 18 of his career with all the minutes under his body. And the fact that, you know, last couple of years, he hasn't been the most durable guy. Like, and okay, it worked again. It worked. I thought it opened up a lot for them. And maybe that is a look that they can go to from time to time here on out. But when you start having to dig into things and be like, well, they're having to go to things like LeBron at center in November just to tread water against, as you mentioned, an easy schedule. I believe they have the seventh easiest strength uh, schedule so far. It's been a cream puff schedule and they've treaded water. Like, yeah, LeBron missed half of their game so far, but 
given the schedule they've played, AD and the rest of them should be pretty damn disappointed in themselves that they couldn't have compiled a better record, even with LeBron out. Um, you know, I think the the really, really concerning thing for me, and maybe this speaks more to the roster construction around them, to their actual performance, but the one thing you could always point to with this, with the LeBron AD Lakers, is when those two guys are on the court together, You, it doesn't matter who's around them. I've made jokes in the past that you and I could be two of the three players, and they'd find a way to be good. because Those, those two were guys, jokes? <laughs> those two guys are that good individually, but also that good together. Like, as perfect a pairing as you could think of in basketball on both ends of the court. The, the concerning thing this year is that through this really disappointing start, with LeBron and AD on the court together, the Lakers have been outscored by more than four points per 100 possessions. They're not winning. They're not coming close to winning the LeBron plus AD minutes. So, you know, you were asking for the silver lining. Is there any optimism? Like, fine. To me, if you were asking for like, what's the thing that's like really sticking out? It's that. There's a bunch of things we can talk about stylistically. But if you just look at like overall performance, the fact that they are getting pretty killed like four doesn't sound like a lot but in net rating you're more, like more than four points per nine possessions worse if that was over a whole season you're like a bottom 10 team easily yeah the fact that they're performing like that with both those guys on the court again maybe it's a little column a a little column b part of it is those guys performance but a big part of it is the roster construction and the guys around them and if the solutions to that again are well let's do things like lebron had said if you're going to do that in november to tread water against the seventh easiest schedule that is a huge problem, and I just don't know how anyone can look at this team so far through a little over a quarter of the season and think, ah, it'll be fine. They'll figure it out because it doesn't look like they're able to. Yeah, and even last season, which I don't think anyone would describe as a, a good Lakers season, uh, a lot of stuff went wrong. They were still like plus 11 with LeBron and AD on the court together. Dude, if even if you look at it in the playoffs – uh, when they lost to Phoenix. If you look at, I know AD got hurt in that series, but even just like the limited minutes, those two were on the court in that series, they killed the Suns, killed them. And so that, this I is mean, the first time they're looking this vulnerable with those guys on the court. For sure. And I I do think it mostly comes down to LeBron. I, I, I think AD, apart from the fact that he can't shoot the ball anymore, has been very good. And I think the bigger issue to me is... Let's, let's admit it, right? Like the LeBron decline phase that we've all been wondering about, whispering about for so long, when's it going to happen? Like this guy has defied father time for so long. Eventually he has to succumb to it. Like we're at that stage. And that doesn't mean he isn't still a ridiculous anomaly for a guy his age playing in his 19th NBA season. Yeah, you know, he is still probably a top 10 player in the league. Maybe, you know, at peak playoff intensity, a top five player in the league. But this is not the LeBron James that we have seen in years past absolutely carry ill-fitting or underwhelming supporting casts through a conference in the playoffs. He's just not, he's just not that guy anymore. Like he, all of his underlying numbers are pointing in the wrong direction. Like his rim frequency is way down. His finishing at the rim is way down. His free throw rate is way down. Just to his, interrupt you too. You see it like it, it's one of those things that it's very much passes the eyeball test too. Like he, there are times oh, yeah. he's not finishing at the rim and having to lay it up or do some awkward thing to like try to get it up there. Whereas like yeah. even a year ago, that was a dunk, like no questions asked. Yeah. The, it's, it's his lift, but it's both actually like it's his lift. I think at the rim, like the kind of, th there's like the first step explosiveness that you look for. And there's the finishing step explosiveness. And to me, both of them have looked severely diminished where like the, the turning the corner boost isn't really there. I mean, there've been a bunch of possessions where big guys are switching out onto, onto him and he can't really shake those guys. Like he couldn't really shake Marvin Bagley. He couldn't really shake DeMontis Sabonis. Like in the past, I feel like he would just be able to dust those guys. And in some cases it's because, you know, he's sort of set, he, he's going to the step back jumper because he sees guys are pinching in. Dwight or DeAndre is standing in the dunker spot and there's somebody there ready to help. So it's like, okay, am I really going to put my body through the physical toll of trying to drive through a bunch of bodies or should I just try and get the step back off? Part of it is the spacing, but definitely part of it is that whether it's moving vertically or moving side to side, I just don't think that he has that juice right now. And, and maybe it's just gone for good. Like his rebounding is way down too, which is like, yeah. So, so all of that stuff is pointing in the wrong direction. And then 
maybe the worst part of all of this is he's defending like it's 2018-19 again. And I think, you know, at the very start of the season before he picked up that injury, I thought he was defending well, you know, more or less in line with what he's done the last couple of seasons. But since getting back, it's been like giving up blow buys, poor or non-existent closeouts, making bad gambles and then making no attempt to recover, getting back cut. Um, you know, there's times when he's the low man where he just doesn't even bother to rotate over and help. And it's like, you know, very reminiscent of that 2018-19 season. And so maybe that is the injury and he's not physically right yet. You know, in the same way that during that 2018-19 season, he was dealing with the groin. And that was clearly impacting his ability to go full freight at the defensive end of the floor. But like that game that they lost against the Kings was the worst defensive game that I've seen him play in three years. It was like just it was just mistake after mistake or not even mistakes, but just like low effort plays and lethargy left and right. And, you know, we just haven't really seen that from him in the last couple of years. And maybe part of that is because he was insulated better in the last couple of years where there was actually point of attack defense that protected him from having to make those kind of rotations on the back line over and over and over again. And now he doesn't have that. And it's just like, he's not up to the challenge of doing it as often as the Lakers need him to. But that's been a big concern for me too. And it's like, you want to talk about, okay, well, maybe the Le- like LeBron at five can be the answer at the offensive end. But then, you know, who's flanking him at the defensive end? And are they going to be able to stop anybody? Because their point of attack defense is a real concern, man. They are, they're giving up the highest opponent rim frequency in the league right now. And they're playing lineups where, you know, Russ is out there with, with Mello and Malik Monk. And it's just... I actually think Monk has been on balance, like probably their best role player. He's been good, but, you know, point of attack containment isn't really his strong suit. And it's just asking a lot, asking a lot of him. It's asking a lot of AD. Uh, and I think AD is actually doing his damnedest, but like he, he is really being asked to put out a lot of fires. So unless this is a situation where LeBron is working his way back into a shape, into shape, or he is pacing himself. And we are going to see him ratchet it, you know, back all the way up to, to to where he was at, you know, even midway through last season. If that's going to happen, then I can see this turning around. But if that's not going to happen, there's not a lot of things that I can look at and be like, oh, yeah, this is destined to rebound and get better. Like maybe excising the centers from the rotation is going to help. Maybe Trevor Ariza and Kendrick Nunn coming back is going to help. But... It's like you go through the list of things where you're like, okay, th- this could be a fix. You know, LeBron at the five, more AD at the five, Trevor Ariza. None of these answers really seem like answers in the big picture, or at least no. not confidence-inspiring ones. And excising centers from the rotation might help in like short-term performance boost. But again, then you're looking at two guys in LeBron and AD, one of whom is just getting old, and the other one who has never really been able to stay healthy having to de- like physically deal with bigger guys for a long stretch of the season as opposed to you know doing it in spot minutes here or there if you're exercising the center from the rotation that's what you're getting and that's gonna be a problem i think as the season progresses like we're talking about lebron having to play his way into shape you know or not looking completely right physically and then we're saying, well, you know, maybe they'll have to excise the centers from the rotation and he'll have to play center. Like those two things don't really go together well. And they're like one of the worst rebounding teams in the league yeah. as it is, even yeah. playing those big guys. So I think, you know, that has to be a big concern if they're going to be playing smaller more often. I will say it's not like, I think the biggest issue is they're switching AD out on the onto the perimeter a decent amount, which is like, okay, it's not, that's not a bad use of, of AD's defensive skill set, but then they're getting cooked on the back end of those switches and probably on the glass more than anything. So I don't know. I think they've probably got to strike a healthier balance there, especially if there isn't another center on the floor who can be close to the basket when AD is switching out. I, you know, I don't know how you necessarily want to scheme that out. And I just don't think there are any easy answers. Like, okay, so you want to play more LeBron and AD at the five lineups. The question as always is like, who is filling out those lineups? You want it to be Russ, AD, and LeBron, obviously. 
And, and and to be fair, those three guys playing without a traditional center on the floor have actually been, I think, a pretty significant positive on the season so far. But, I mean, who else is in there? Like, I think lately it's been Mello, Monk, and THT. Those have been the guys who have sort of cycled through uh, those two spots in those five-man units. But it's you run into those same issues where it's like, okay, it's crunch time, and you have Mello, Monk, and Russ basically defending the perimeter. Yeah. It's good. Luck. That's kind of scary. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the one thing you can point to, and it's not even a Lakers positive as much as it's like a West negative is given the state of the West this year, given how depleted some of the teams that should have been contenders are like it, it does look like this is the rare year where you can hover around 500 and not just be in the playoff mix, but like, you might be able to hover around 500 this year and find yourself in the top six at the end of the season. I, I think right now the Lakers are 500 and are seven half game behind yeah. Minnesota. So like th- that's the one thing. If if it is just the case of LeBron's playing himself in the shape, he'll be fine come springtime as long as the Lakers are there. Then I think it's very different. But I also think it's a little naive to assume that, right? To assume, oh, he's just playing himself in the shape. Everything will be fine because – uh, yeah, it's just harder to believe that now than it was, say, a year, a year ago. On that note, by the way, just a quick trivia for you. So, obviously, Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah so far have been the three best teams in the West. Who do you think has the fourth best point differential in the West after those three teams? First of all, only five teams in the West have a positive mm-hmm. point differential. But who do you think has the fourth best point differential after the obvious Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah? I feel like it's either Denver or Portland. Minnesota. Oh shit, we we got to talk about them actually on yeah. on a near future episode because they've yeah. been they've been playing some good ball and I feel like there's a lot of interesting things happening there. Shout out D'Angelo Russell who's been better this season than I could have possibly expected, but yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. So it's like if they can get up to the five seed, which feels totally realistic right now with the state of the West, then they'll probably win a series. Does that register as a successful season for them? I don't know. But it's like, yeah, this could very well still be a second round team. There's only three elite teams in the West right now. But if they don't finish in the top five, then they're not making out of the first round. Like that's pretty much where I'm at with this team. So I don't know. I don't know like where that leaves them. Like I don't think they have a lot of roster maneuverability or any moves to make that are going to change their outlook. It's kind of just... This is what they are, and they need to make the most of it. You know, figure it out to whatever extent they can with the pieces on hand. And I do think there's some stuff they can do. I mean, LeBron playing next to Wayne Ellington, I actually feel like has been just like a pretty good, sensible look. They can run two-man actions with those two guys, Ellington ghosting screens and popping out to the three-point line. They have like a 118 offensive rating when those two guys play together, so maybe more of that. Generally just spicing up their offense a little bit, like it's so stagnant so much of the time right like just static post-ups on one cleared outside of the floor for lebron for ad for russ and very little going on on the weak side and not enough cutting and not any you know off-ball screening no split action like nothing that would nothing that makes it interesting to watch like a team with lebron anthony davis and russell westbrook should not be this much of a drag to watch but also just so predictable and like letting the defense off the hook so much of the time. But it's also like, then you see them try to do more ornate stuff. And like, they, I feel like they just kick the ball around. Like they turn it over at a ridiculous rate. And sometimes doing those static post-ups is like their best source of offense. Cause they, they can't turn the ball over by doing it. So I don't know, but I think th- there is more interesting stuff that they can do. Like, I think they've, they run some horn stuff that has been pretty effective, but then sometimes it just falls by the wayside. Like Russ screening for LeBron, which is something we talked about early in the season as a potential fix for their half court woes, that has like totally fallen by the wayside. I can't remember the last time I've seen that happen. Uh, Their corner sets that they used to run for AD have fallen by the wayside. It's like, I I don't know, there's got to be a way that they can make their half court offense like a little bit more exciting. And maybe, maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's like more exciting and more interesting to watch and it doesn't amount to much in the way of like moving the needle for their efficiency, but I feel like they can and should be much better at that end than they've been so far. And they were always going to be dependent on transition, but they should be able to figure like some things out in the half court that they haven't seemed to figure out so far. 
yeah, the half court offense should be a little more aesthetically pleasing than it has been. Not much more, but a little more. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think this team is contending unless LeBron digs down and finds some elixir within him that like brings back, I guess. Yeah. Even like last year, mid season LeBron, but short of that. And even then, I don't know if it would be enough. Yeah, lately I maybe, feel like the, the maybe if every bounce goes their way, like they can find themselves in the conference finals. But like, I can't see them beating two of Golden State, Phoenix, Utah in the same run. Not as presently constructed. I'd be stunned if they made their way to the conference finals. Yeah, which is crazy to say about a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis on it. But that's yeah, that's my feeling right now, and I don't. I don't even really think it's a recency bias. Like I've, I've had these concerns about them since the off season, basically. And it's just, they've all borne out to an even greater extreme than I expected them to, but none of it in terms of the things that have actually gone wrong have been surprising. It's more a question of degree. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, I think in terms of some of those degrees, like some of that will improve, but the problems are still going to be the problems. And I think that that's going to prevent them from making it through more than one round of the playoffs. If they even, get that far i guess you know russ could be better and he's started to to look a little bit better recently i think the, the russ ad usually russ yeah the last couple of years russ has come on at like absolute gangbusters in january yeah so maybe that maybe that is still in there somewhere and that is going to help like he'll get them out in transition and into early offense more so they're not getting bogged down in the half court as much and i do think you know I've mentioned this many times before. Maybe this starts to happen and maybe it does make sense for the Lakers because I think lately the Russ AD pick and roll has actually looked pretty good. And if LeBron can sort of buy into more of an off ball role where he's cutting and spotting up and maybe just not doing as much with the ball in his hands, because like I mentioned, he hasn't been this like dominating ball in hand force the way that he's been in years past when even like getting him advantageous switches isn't necessarily leading to good offense, you know, maybe that's part of the way that they can goose the half court stuff, like more Russ AD pick and roll, maybe Russ LeBron pick and roll. And that leads to less like Russ standing around off ball, cramping their spacing because like it just, the, the, the LeBron AD two man stuff just doesn't work as well with Russ off the ball. It just doesn't. I think we've seen some some stuff with like Russ cutting off ball and LeBron in the post uh, or AD in the post. Like, but I, I just think ultimately he's going to be of, of far more used to them with the ball in his hands. So maybe we start to see a little bit of a shift in the divisional labor there. By the way, uh, LeBron James questionable for the Lakers next game with an abdominal injury. Yeah, which is the same injury he's been dealing with. And in a weird way, that almost makes me feel... Like better because it's like okay, good. he's not he's not a hundred percent. That's why he is the way he is right now. Which by the that's way, he's like twenty six, seven, five, and one on almost fifty nine percent true shooting. Well, that's the thing. Like LeBron has just LeBron has just moved the goalposts so far. Like our expectations of him are so ridiculous. But him having the season that he's having in in year nineteen, which is completely unprecedented, still registers as a major disappointment. But I mean, I wouldn't even call it a disappointment. I would just say like the way that the Lakers team is built, they need him to be like peak LeBron. And he just clearly isn't that right now. But yeah, I think it does in a way make me feel a little bit better about it, knowing that the injury is probably what's driving down some of his explosiveness, his efficiency, his defense. And so maybe if he takes a little bit more time off and looking at the state of the West, it doesn't seem like that's going to lead to them digging a deep enough hole that they're just going to be out of it comes back and is able to get, you know, something close to right, something close to a hundred percent. Then maybe we could see a different LeBron and that will make a difference for this team. But it's, you know, to go back to, to what we were talking about in last year's postseason, it's like, this is what age catching up to him looks like. It's not just the on-court product. It's like how often he is actually able to stay on the floor. And it's the, the little injuries that he used to be able to play through in the past that he can't anymore that are lingering for longer. You know, the recovery time extends and he picks up more of the nicks and bruises. And ultimately that is 
having a compounding effect. It's one thing after another, and it's adding up and taking a physical toll, and he just can't ever really develop enough consistency on the court to ramp up to the level that he's accustomed to. So yeah, that's that's kind of the state of the Lakers. It's a little bit bleak, but I don't know. Maybe there is still a chance that this can turn around in some way or another, and we'll be back here talking about how surprised we are that the Lakers found a way to turn it around. We've seen crazier things from LeBron James in the past. And like I said, Anthony Davis still looks awesome to me. So that pairing alone should still give them some hope that things can be better than they are now. But yeah, it's uh, it's been tough. So unless you've got anything to add to that cash, I will kick it over to you for a fan shout out. Yeah. So I was, I was actually going through some of uh, the list and I realized that there was one I might've missed. And this is like from months ago. So unless I'm mistaken, I don't believe we ever gave Sandrico Provo on Twitter at Sandrico Provo a shout out. He he messaged us back in August. Oh, uh, saying he loves Pound the Rock. He has a seven podcast lineup and uh, PTR is definitely on a Supermax. Uh, he's been listening since Kawhi hit the shot in 2019. So I did uh, want to get Sandrico in there and apologize that it took us months when usually it doesn't take us more than two or three weeks. Uh, and then also a special shout out for Kamal, friend of a friend who you know I'll say is a friend as well, uh, who just celebrated his birthday last week. So shout out Kamal, who's a huge fan of Pound the Rock, uh, always bigs to show up. So Sandrico and Kamal are our fan shout outs this week. And I still have a few in the back burner that we will get to. So if I have interacted with you on social media in the last couple of weeks, don't worry, we're not ignoring you. We will get to you. Uh, in future episodes and the usual call out if you're a fan of pound the rock let us know where are you listening from how long have you been listening what do you like about the show what do you not like about the show again as i always say probably not much if you've been listening for a while so uh yeah hit us up on twitter at joseph Casharo at joey w but uh, you is actually spelled out y-o-u uh at joe underscore 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 cash on instagram joseph.casharo at thescore.com via email joe.wolfon at thescore.com via email get us that feedback and we will get you a shout out on a future show and like i mentioned off the top we're going to talk to y'all again on friday so we'll see how this two a week format goes but for now we're signing off so for joseph casharo i'm joe wolfon pound the rock (laughs) 